You're listening to The Athletic Mind with your host, Taylor Cook and Lauren Williams. Welcome back to another episode of The Athletic Mind, where we dig deep and shed light on the mental side of sports for athletes and coaches by having open conversations about mental health, mindset, and performance. Wait, you want me to do this part? Okay. This part. (laughs) Yes, this is the one. (laughs) All right, everybody. Welcome back to The Athletic Mind. Uh, Taylor and I are back together. This is, it's kind of sad how rare this is becoming. (laughs) I know. But uh yeah taylor and i are back together uh today to chat about something that i think we're both pretty passionate about yeah relatively yeah minimally (laughs) um no we're already fired up just just talking about um kind of you know what we're going to get into today but you can call it a lot of different things you can call it person-centered coaching you can call it athlete-centered coaching you can call it person-centric leadership um but we are going to be talking all things about leading people effectively and leading people so that you can get their peak performance potential out of them. Um, And if you're not on the bandwagon yet of person-centric leadership, I think you, you might start leaning that way after this, after this chat today. So we're both fired up. We're ready to get into it. Taylor, you've done some research. Where are you at? (laughs) I mean, this has always been something of interest to me, obviously being an athlete for both of us, right? But Mm -hmm. there's such a big difference in the way that athletes respond to coaches when they are more of like the the old school dictator, do as I say type leadership versus the more empathetic coaches who want to work with you to help you learn how you can improve and and become the best athlete and also like the best person that you can be as well. Right. And so I respond significantly better to athlete centered coaching. If somebody is sitting here yelling at me, telling me what to do a thousand times a day and not giving me a good reason as to why I should be doing any of it. Mm -hmm. I don't really care to listen so much. And I think this is also a little bit of a generational thing too right? Like we've seen a huge shift in leadership as a whole since the pandemic in 2020, without a doubt. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really where we started to see this major shift because you started to see athletes starting, you know, speaking up about their mental health, Simone Biles pulling back and saying, I can't perform because my headspace is not right. So that obviously plays a major role into whether or not an athlete is going to be able to compete. And so when you have a coach who's constantly talking at you rather than to you, your athlete loses a lot of respect for the coach. They don't really care to perform for that coach either because Mm -hmm. that relationship is so poor. Yeah. Whereas when you work on building those relationships with players and you help players learn to become better athletes and better people and have a little bit more responsibility over their own performance, it builds so much rapport and respect between those two characters. Yeah. And for, for people listening, I think a good way to kind of separate these two, if we're talking about like leadership 1.0, which is your, your dictatorship style, do as I say, Um, don't question me on it, just do it. The reason why I think that doesn't work as well 
is because you're constantly in reprimand mode, right? Where something happens that you don't like or an outcome is produced that the leader doesn't like. So then they have to feel that sense of, well, I need to fix it. I need to have the answer and I need to make someone understand that it's not what I want. And once you're in that mode, then you're telling people like this needs to change or you need to be better. And when you're constantly in that reprimand mode, of course, you're going to start slipping into like, I'm getting frustrated because clearly don't people don't understand what I want. Right. So it's easy to slip into that, like that dictatorship that we're talking about, where you're constantly experiencing outcomes that you don't want because your people aren't empowered to get creative about finding different solutions. And then the more that you enter into that cycle, the easier frustration comes in and takes you away from that thing that we love to tell people to focus on, which is the process. And then on the other side of that, you have athlete-centric coaching or person-centered coaching. And the whole basis of that is empowering your people and creating an environment that is safe for people, number one, to make mistakes or to question things, to try new things, right? It's an environment where we're empowering our people to have a role in the process and to understand that the process is more important than the outcome so that you can turn off that defensive brain that gets triggered every time you get reprimanded or yelled at. That's just human nature, right? So if you can turn off that defensive brain and allow people to say like, oh, I wonder what I could do differently. You're ultimately creating a way more sustainable pathway forward. And I don't know about you, but sustainability seems like a way better route to go than the initial high of feeling like you're yelling at somebody and you're going to make them change because you're yelling at them, which realistically, based on how your brain works and the psychology of it all, it actually doesn't work when you yell at people. They don't know what to change because you didn't tell them. (laughs) Yeah. And like, you're also stunting the growth of your athletes when you do that too, right? Because if you're constantly telling them that this is what you have to do, well, when they're handed a live situation and performance, and it's not exactly how you've laid it out for them, they don't know how to respond or react appropriately. And that's both in sport, on the ice, on the court field, whatever, and also off of the ice as well. And Mm -hmm. that shows up in and around your your relationships to your teammates, because if you don't know how to interact with with other teammates and you Mm -hmm. start treating your teamies, like the way your coach treats you when they get something wrong, it really just serves as like a, a toxicity and a cancer within the team that begins to grow. And then there's a lot of resentment and there's a lot more problems that start to evolve because of it. Right. And I was doing a little bit of research before, just so I can, you know, see some of the studies in and around uh, athlete center coaching. And there's one from the university of Southern Denmark that was published in sports psychology essentials in 2022 titled integrating athlete and performance centered approaches. And it says that the typical elite sport narrative, the only way to athletic success is is through a single-minded dedication to sport, is promoted by many stakeholders, generating an expectation for athletes to focus and commit 100% to sport in order to be successful. 
Using this perspective, commitments in other life domains, such as education, work, relationships, hobbies, and other interests are then seen as distractions from what is important, which is the athletic success and results, which consequently should be reduced to a minimum. Such Mm -hmm. an approach is described by Kidman as coaches controlling athletes' behavior, not only through training and competition, but also beyond the sport setting, hence disempowering the athlete. Kidman further highlights that many coaches applying this approach believe they are expected to win and that successful coaches should be hard-nosed and discipline-oriented. Nor is this approach only promoted by coaches in biographies, articles, and through social media, retired elites stress that this sole focus was central to their success. And they, they quote Kobe Bryant from Mamba Mentality um, mm-hmm. in, this, in this area. To continue on, in contrast to you know, the athlete or, or person-centered approach is consistent with the social constructivist theories of learning where coaches and athletes are both centrally involved in the learning process. So athlete-centered coaching aims to empower athletes to become self-aware and independent, responsible for their development and decision-making both within and outside the sports domain. Mm-hmm. And I think that last part there is such a crucial thing to be zoning in on because we look at the big hockey Canada scandal from last year and all of the stuff that that brought up and then all of the other cases that started to come up as a result right Mm -hmm. whereas maybe this is just my personal opinion obviously but we look at women's hockey for example we're treated very differently Mm -hmm. than men's hockey teams And we are expected to stand to a higher social bar, essentially. Like we have to be- Oh, and moral standard too. Moral standards. Like we have a lot of social constructive- Bars. Yeah. Like (laughs) there's just a lot going on, right? Like we're held to higher standards in layman's terms. And when you see things come up in the hockey world on the men's side, like- Yeah. Part of that- could and I'm not saying it is but it could come back to the fact that they don't have that athlete-centered approach a lot of the time or at least have not had that kind of approach up into recent years yeah well and if we want to look at just a direct example I suppose of what you're kind of talking about with the female athletes especially being held to a higher standard like I I think of hope solo and the domestic violence case that she was involved in where she was the perpetrator, her career ended. There's hundreds, if not thousands of male athletes who have that same exact charge who are still making millions of dollars playing their sport. But anyways, we could, we could walk down the path of the social constructs that women have to deal with from that come from like ancient times, basically. (laughs) It's been a whole episode on that, but yeah, I think when we're talking about this athlete-centered coaching or person-centric kind of leadership, um, you mentioned Kobe. And maybe he was one of those people who like totally bought into basketball is the most important thing in my life and I will sacrifice other things in order to be good at basketball. But his mentality with being good at basketball was always about finding ways to be better through the process right so even even though he you know maybe tilted over to that side of like 
you don't have a life anymore outside <laughs> of your sport, which isn't sustainable in and of itself. He was still very focused on like everything that he did was in service of becoming better. Mm-hmm. And he was very good at, you know, finding the measurable points to show him that he was becoming better to being a true student of the game so that he was taking care of like all the controllables there. But yeah, when you think about the the difference between the two and the mentality that results in athletes as a result of the type of leadership that you're giving them, how are you expecting an athlete to reach their peak potential when they're constantly starting from a bar of like, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Because every single time that you reprimand an athlete and say, you know, what were you thinking? The belief is, well, what I did then wasn't good enough because I'm getting yelled at and getting yelled at is not a good thing. Normally, you know, I think a lot of us have that association getting Mm -hmm. yelled at is a bad thing. Um, So if you're constantly pushing your athletes back down to this level of I'm not good enough, then they're constantly in that self-doubt loop. And the more that you create that loop in their head, the more they're going to start to believe it. And now you just have a recipe for tanking somebody's confidence and you're just not going to get the best out of an athlete if they don't have confidence. No, absolutely not. And like the, the holistic approach to, to the athlete centered coaching, the whole point of it is to build an independent person, both in sport and in life. Right. And so you're essentially equipping them with the tools and techniques that are going to allow them to build self-awareness, to identify where those roadblocks are coming up. Where is it that they're not really reaching that potential? How is it that I can improve on this skill? How is it that I can become a better athlete overall and use those same skills and techniques outside of sport in their daily lives as well? Whereas, you know, the way I see it is, is like this old school 1.0 coaching leadership style, like reminds me of you, you give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. And that to me really represents the difference between 1.0 dictatorship type coaching and Mm. this new progressive athlete centered coaching approach. Yeah. And there's one thing that we say all the time as a coaching staff here, and it's that Life affects hockey and hockey affects life. There is no, I don't care how high level you are, whether you're getting paid a million dollars or more to play your sport, or if you're a student athlete, or if you're an amateur athlete trying to make it to the next level, like your sport is high stress, but it doesn't take away from the stress that also impacts your sport. Mm -hmm. So if you're not creating individuals who are mentally resilient and have the tools to get creative about problem solving in their sport and in life. And like, make no mistake, you don't have to be a therapist to do this. Problem solving is problem solving, whether it's in sport, you know, you can apply it in life. That's one of the best things about sport. If you're not doing that, then whether or not it's, you know, something happening in sport affecting their play or something happening in life affecting their play, it's going to happen. And if they're constantly waiting for somebody else to tell them that they're doing really well or that they're absolute shit and not doing well, you're, you're taking away the empowerment piece. You're taking away their ability to help themselves. Mm -hmm. And a coach can't be in all places at once. You can't be giving that direct feedback to everybody all the time. So while it may seem 
you know, the words that someone used when I had a debate with them about this was like soft or like babying your athletes. Well, it may seem like that. It's not really, you're just giving them their own tools to use so that you don't need to be the center of their feedback loop. Mm -hmm. It's all you're doing is empowering them to give themselves feedback. Yeah. And, and realistically, like, why would you want every single athlete that you work with to depend on you? Oh God, that's scary. Like that's, that's, that's a lot of pressure that you're already putting on yourself. And then at the end of the day, what a lot of the, these, you know, old leaders, you know, try to do is to put the blame on someone else when things don't go right. And at the end of the day, you can't do that. In in my opinion, if you are the one that's saying, okay, I'm not going to give them the tools to succeed. They have to come to me or I have to like be the one that's holding their hand throughout the entire process. To me, that is babying an athlete. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what skill level you are at. If you have to constantly wait for that approval from your coach to go and do something or try something new or whatever the case is. It's not a sustainable thing at all. And Mm -hmm. I would encourage people to think about this and try and actually shift your perspective around, you know, the idea of, okay, this athlete centered coaching is being soft or like babying people. Is it though? Like really, you're empowering your athletes to be able to improve themselves as a whole human being, not just as an athlete, but as an actual person. And it's people before athletes every single day of the week. Mm -hmm. But you can, you can even break that down further, right? So like we're talking about soft and babying and ultimately I think what ends up happening for a lot of people who see this new wave of leadership and think like, oh, that's, that's not it. Like, I want to continue doing what I'm doing right now, which is 1.0. It's because the nature of this new wave of leadership does include some level of nurturing and nurturing was always seen as a predominantly female thing. Mm -hmm. And Again, we can get into why that's something that then gets looked upon as not good enough, right? Or not effective in a high performance environment. But if you look at even the highest of these elite, you know, sport levels where coaches are making millions of dollars, players are making millions of dollars, and your job or your salary depends on the success of your team and thus the success of each individual athlete, then you need to be invested in helping them understand the process, know their role within it, and be able to creatively problem solve themselves. Because like we said, you can't be everywhere all at once. But the thing about that environment that I think, whether it's, you know, your job on the line or a huge bonus for a successful season or if you're coaching youth hockey and you're just worried about what all the parents think about your team losing all the time it's that I feel like I need to perform and thus I need to grab onto everything and have control over it and when you feel like you have to have control over it then you have to have all the answers and when you have to have all the answers there's no room for asking people how they feel with within a situation or asking people for their input on what's going on. 
or creating a team environment that's created by the whole team. Like that just doesn't happen because you have to have all the answers, but nobody has all the answers. So we're right back to the feed loop again of 1.0 is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy that you brought up the whole youth coaching area, because I think this type of athlete centered coaching is it's important in every level of sport, Mm -hmm. but I think it's even more critical and crucial to have that type of leadership in youth sports because kids are so impressionable, right? So if you are constantly yelling at these kids, how do you think that makes them feel? Like what kind of impact does that have on their psychological baseline moving forward for the rest of their life, right? Like the whole purpose of most most coaches getting into sport is because they want to give back and they want to positively impact, right? And yeah. I would say that majority of the time they have good intentions, but mm-hmm. if they don't have the skill set or really know the best way to approach their coaching style, for example, then that's where it can become like a negative impact to young kids. And I think for me, at least like when we're talking about athletic centered approach coaching and making sure that we're equipping these athletes with a very solid foundation of, of tools and being able to understand themselves and express themselves and co-working with, with their, their coach and learning about this whole experience, what to expect moving forward. That's going to be much more impressionable and impactful for them, not only as, as a kid in sport, but just as a kid overall, and they can take those lessons into the rest of their lives. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, what's, what a lot of, unfortunately, like uh, what a lot of kids, you know, maybe a couple decades ago did not have at all. Yeah. I don't mean to make people that are in that leadership 1.0 kind of style either. Like I'm not, we're not here trying to tell you that you're a bad leader. We're not here mm-hmm. trying to tell you that you have bad intentions or that, you know, you're not good enough, but you also have to as a coach, it's your responsibility to understand that you have a huge impact on the people that you're working with, whether they're kids or adults, athletes look up to their coaches. And if you understand the impact that you have on people, then you have the responsibility to educate yourself on how to best impact those people, because you're trying to set them up for success. That intent, I never doubt almost with coaches. Like, I don't think anyone really gets into coaching to make people feel like crap about themselves. Mm -hmm. That's very, very tiny, tiny percentage. But if you have that in mind and you understand the impact that you have on people and you want to be able to impact them for the better, which includes impact their performance for the better, then you got to start to be curious about maybe what you can change as well. We're constantly asking our athletes to change whether it's certain behaviors or techniques that they're trying or their stride or their mechanics, like we're constantly asking for change for growth. So should we not be asking the same of coaches as well? Absolutely. For me, even just being a personal trainer, for me to continue 
keeping that license, I have to go through continuing education courses. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if there's the same requirement for coaches in various different sports. I don't know if that's a thing. I know that like in, in hockey, for example, you get your NCCP and I think you're good to go. I don't know if you have to have continuing education though. Right. And so like, if you want to not only be growing as, as a person, as a coach yourself and want your athletes to be doing the same, then you have to be curious about what is it that I'm lacking on? What is it that I can change? Cause maybe this, maybe there's something <laughs> that you can tweak, something you can learn and adopt into your coaching style. That's going to help you communicate better with, with your athletes or your coaches and show up in a more positive and impactful way. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's the goal, right? Like that is the goal. The goal is not to make people feel like shit about themselves, but we do that from time to time and that's okay. I was a kid that that happened to, and I don't think any one of my coaches ever intentionally wanted to make me feel that way, but it happens. And as a coach, you just have to be willing to be curious Mm -hmm. about what you're doing and how you could also improve it. And maybe your assumptions that doing it differently is soft and babying are, you know, if those are the things that are keeping you from doing it, you might need to address some of your assumptions about what leading people is actually all about. Mm-hmm. I could not have said it better myself. If uh, yeah, the, what this person said to me about, you know, the whole approach that I took with coaching this year. And one of the examples I used is like, if an athlete makes a mistake, I'll often go up to them on the bench and say, you know, like walk me through what you were thinking. Cause I want to understand where they were at Mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, well maybe try this next time. Or even just seeing something happen on the ice and say, you know, I really liked this part of it, but maybe you can try to implement this next time. He's like, well, that's time consuming. I'm like, yes, it's fucking time consuming. It needs to be. (laughs) Like my job as a coach is not supposed to be easy because there's new problems every single day. Mm -hmm. So one of the things he said to me is like, okay, well, yeah, like come back to me 10 years from now and and we'll see how that's going for you. And I'm like, if, if I don't want to be invested in that, then I shouldn't be a coach anymore. And maybe I will hit a point in my career where I don't have the patience for it. I don't see that happening. But if, if I notice myself slipping into that where I don't even want to give appropriate feedback because I'm too burnt out to do it. Then I shouldn't be a coach anymore Mm. because I'm not doing my job effectively. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here thinking about, okay, maybe from, from this person's perspective, it was, there's a lot of conditioning that goes into working with older athletes, for example, right. Especially if you've been conditioned to, not really care or like if if you've been the kind of athlete that has been yelled at and had that 1.0 leadership for your whole life maybe it's a little bit more difficult and challenging to have those longer kind of conversations because it's a more difficult concept for them to understand Mm -hmm. maybe right but then i would also say like if you're going into a new season or if you're going into a new team as a coach, it starts from the very second that you introduce yourself as the head coach or the assistant coach and say, hey, 
this is who I am. This is my leadership style. This is how I like to communicate and set the tone from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So your athletes can know what to expect from you Yeah, from the very start. 100%. Yeah. And, and to your point too, right? Those athletes who, who struggle to evaluate and get creative when it comes to problem solving after they've made a mistake, you're, you're just fighting all of that, like the preconditioning that they have about what it means to make a mistake. They're already 10 feet deep in their mental hole of that was a mistake I shouldn't have made. I'm supposed to be perfect and now I'm not perfect. So what does that mean for me and what I'm capable of? So of course, like for the first little bit, it's going to be hard to get through to those athletes and you may get some like really crummy attitude checks as a result of it because they're shut down. They don't want to talk about it because they're so used to what comes after making a mistake. But even this year I had athletes like that. And one of them said, you know, I think I just prefer you yell at me. I'm like, why, what am I, what am I doing for you by yelling at you? Am I reaffirming the voice in your head that tells you that you're not good enough? Cause that's not what I'm about. So I just said, I, I will never yell at you. That's not my style. What I will do um, is help you. I'll help walk you through the process. And what I won't accept is like a shitty attitude about it. That's when I get disappointed, right? And I don't know, being able to walk someone through that took time. Of course. But it helped. Made things a lot more productive on the bench. <laughs> I can, I'm sure not just on the bench, but on the ice as well, for sure. Yeah. Out. I don't think I can really say much, much more about the importance of of the athlete-centered coaching at this point like we've covered it from a lot of different perspectives and angles and Mm -hmm. you know done a pretty decent job in in demonstrating the difference between like what that 1.0 dictatorship old school coaching style looks like versus this new 2.0 progressive athlete human-centered leadership coaching like Mm -hmm. big big difference and also hits a lot better with our younger athletes specifically, right? Especially we talk about millennials, Gen Zs, like they respond differently to 1.0 versus 2.0. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I would say is as coaches, I hope we all acknowledge if you're not here yet, I think we need to have a conversation about it, but we all know that the game's not perfect, right? Somebody has to make a mistake in order for a goal to go in But what separates the really good teams from, you know, the average teams is their ability to bounce back from mistakes because everybody is making mistakes. So if we're looking at sport from basically a sum of your mistakes minus the good things that you're able to do, you need the good things to outweigh the mistakes. But if you're making mistakes and then you're putting people into a headspace that they're now afraid to try things because their perception of making mistakes is so terrible, then your mistakes are always going to outweigh the positives because you're not putting your athletes in a good headspace to move forward from the mistakes that they are inevitably going to make. That is all. (laughs) Another mic drop from Lou. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. And like you're, like I said, we can't really stress enough just how important it is to, to check your own coaching style and how it, how it lands with your athletes. And, and for those uh, listening, whether you are a coach or an athlete would highly recommend to look into our brain training for athletes program, which is a four month program, which is designed to put these tools that we're talking about into the hands of your athletes to help them build the self-awareness, to help them learn how to manage their emotions and to, you know, improve their focus and confidence and motivation and also to lead themselves as, as people, right. To Mm -hmm. be able to handle pressures of both sport and life, because challenges are going to come up in both areas. And like Lou mentioned, you can't have one without the other. Like it just does not happen. So the, the quicker that you're able to help your athletes help themselves, the more results you're really going to start seeing from a performance standpoint, not just on the individual athlete level, but on the whole team performance scale as well. So if you are interested in learning a little bit more about that, please check out the show notes. We've got a link for our team coaching and also our individual coaching sessions as well. Then on that note, thank you everyone for listening to us rant for another week. If you found this episode to be of value, then please go ahead and leave us a rating on Spotify or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This is really what does help our podcast grow. And we are so grateful to everybody who has already gone and done this, but the more the better. So please go ahead and take two minutes out of your day to make our day a little bit better.